0: Hi, this is singer-songwriter Elizabeth Edwards. Welcome to Giving Voice to Recovery, a place we share ideas and experience for the purpose of inspiring you on your recovery journey. I am so glad you've joined me for this series of conversations with my dear friend, Christina Wanzelak. You may know Christina from her book, The Lost Years, her work on TLC's groundbreaking show, Addicted, or her television docu-series Codependent, which premiered on Lifetime and A&E. Christina is credited with helping thousands of addicts and their families through her work as an international interventionist, and now joins me in a series of conversations about life, recovery, and coffee. Welcome to Coffee with Christina good morning how are you doing today?
1: Good morning I'm doing well thank you. how about you
0: doing really good just warming up with my red cup um, of coffee <laughs> um so yeah so recovery um you know a lot of people just associate I mean from the outside looking in it makes a lot of sense associate, recovery as physical sobriety, which is obviously a super important part of recovery, but a lot of people from the outside looking in and even people early in recovery don't under maybe understand fully the importance of that emotional sobriety and that underlying piece that needs to get healed. I wanted to talk a little bit more about that specifically because Re, um addiction is a behavioral health issue. And the way that I understand that, and then I want to get your take on this, is we have a certain thinking, which oftentimes is obsessive and not constructive. And that thinking leads to emotions, which create those two things, create a behavior and that behavior becomes very self-destructive. In the rooms, you hear things like nothing changes till something changes. You have to act your way into right thinking. You can't think your way into right action. What is your take? What are what are your suggestions around how to start to shift that? And what are things that have worked for you and you've seen work for others? Mm-hmm. And do you agree with that premise?
1: Well, <clears throat> so, of course, yeah, I agree with it. I mean, there's a big difference between abstinence and and recovery, Mm -hmm. right? So abstinence being, you know, clear of mind and mood altering substances, of course. But, you know, recovery is doing the internal work, you know, in and like you said, changing thought, which affects feeling, which affects behavior. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really the journey of long term recovery, Mm -hmm. right? Like, if if recovery was just about alcohol or drugs or the behavior, the addictive behavior, right? Detox or treatment would only be, I don't know, seven days, right? You would just be problem solved, right? With your life. Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way, right? I think that there's a temperament to, to the addicted life, right? Or the addicted individual. And I think also not, I don't think I know that addiction is propelled by shame and secrets and trauma, untreated trauma. Mm -hmm. So the journey is healing the shame, the secrets and the untreated trauma. So changing, you know, and I think also it's super, super important to remember that you can have addiction active without
0: substance. Yes, yeah. Yeah. There's, there's names for that. Oh, absolutely. In fact, we see a lot of I've seen in throughout the years of my own personal recovery in myself and others, where you switch addictions, you switch the substance. Like I might go from being, you know, and and you can justify that say, well, you know, at least I'm not drinking, but I might be eating too much, or I might be, you know, definitely I can fall into that. So it's that same thing.
1: And it's super common, by the way. Yeah
0: exactly so
1: five and 12 step groups people give up alcohol and turn to sugar and food you know for mm-hmm. comfort or exercise or <laughs> right obviously big one is sex and love and mm-hmm. work right? and work money gambling pornography I mean there's all sorts of obsessive compulsive behaviors. anything that
0: gets that chemistry in your head to take care you know it's that outside thing giving you that rush of of, is it dopamine, I guess, something like dopamine, serotonin, those feelings of that it's usually a dopamine rush is what I've heard. And that, that addictive pattern can show up until you deal with the, it's really an inside job. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And dopamine. Yes. Dopamine is the, the drug of choice for all humans, by the way, Mm -hmm. how our species has survived is, is seeking pleasure, right? Pleasure and reward. Um, or we wouldn't, you know, procreate or any of the other things. So humans wouldn't exist on the planet without dopamine
0: exactly. You no know,
1: interest. There's a great book actually called Dopamine Nation. I forget mm-hmm. the author, but it's hugely yeah. popular right now. And it talks about dopamine and how you, you know, it starts as just out, out the womb, right? Mm-hmm. From playing to touching to holding, you know, all of that releases dopamine, which is extraordinarily beautiful and euphoric. So Mm -hmm. nonetheless, so yeah, seeking dopamine. It's why addicts too, you know, you hear that saying that, you know, so often what what do they say that we're, you know, adrenaline junkies, right? So it's just seeking that pleasure and you reset your pleasure reward center, you know with extended exposure to substance. So you just need more and more to get the same effect.
0: Right, and that's when the downward spiral the life happens is when you become so uh, connected to the pattern that gives that adrenaline, or adrenaline's a different substance, but that one's also a, a rush type of feeling. So the <clears throat> adrenaline and the dopamine, if you can get those in a drug, which you can, um, that's when you get addicted to it. And there's a reason that behavior is such; it, it creates a relief. A lot of people say, "Oh, well, I just want to get high," or. My experience for myself was I wanted relief from the feeling I had, which was I'm never enough, which is a shame feeling. It's never enough. I'm at the wrong party. It's I'm not good enough. It's not good enough. It's never enough. That was the dialogue that was going on in my head very unconsciously. That's what, and when I was high, it made me feel enough for other people. It might be they're using to calm down. So people have different reasons their internal world is created. And that's a lot of times I think what explains this is my non-professional opinion, but that's why some people will get addicted to certain substances and other people will get addicted to other substances. But yeah, the behavior is the end result of the thinking, the feelings, and then the behavior comes from that. That's why they say we have a thinking problem, not a drinking problem.
1: And I think, you know, that's really the concept of emotional sobriety. So obviously you have physical abstinence and then.
0: <laughs> oh, God bless you. Excuse me. <laughs> I'm sorry. You are excused. Uh, right?
1: You have physical abstinence and then you have emotional sobriety. So to your point, and I think, you know, that when you change your thinking, you change your life. So, um Right. And and thinking, you know, drives behavior for sure. But I will say this, that I think in early sobriety, uh, early meaning maybe the first year, mm-hmm. right? that it takes time to change the thought process, right? So it's why they say to keep it really simple and how you just show up for your recovery, even when you don't want to, right? Like no matter what you're thinking or what you're feeling, you go to meetings, for example, for 12 steppers, right? Like you go to meetings, no matter what, no matter what you're feeling or thinking, because it's like, you're not going to think your way into losing weight, right? Mm -hmm. Like you got to show up and do the work or, it's not going to change. And I'll tell you that simple phrase where you just show up no matter what, like you just go, that's what I was told in the beginning. I, I found my recovery in 12 steps. So, you know, I was told, um, you know, and by the way, When I got sober, and when you got sober, right, Mm -hmm. they didn't have like outpatient programs. There was no refuge recovery or life ring or smart recovery, which are all beautiful options, too, right? That none of
0: those different groups groups that support physical and Recovery in general, but yeah, no, none of that was, it was just basically.
1: So it was like hardcore. Like you go to meetings, what do they say? You come to a meeting even if your ass is falling off. Yeah.
0: I call it training my feet because, like, I can't get my head to think that's a good idea, especially sometimes even today, I still have that. But I train my feet by on Saturday night, I go to this meeting on Monday, like in early recovery, it was as many as you needed. It was you have any kind of disconnection inside, which was most of the time. You make sure you're showing up to those meetings. When I was new, I was going to a, a, a meeting. I had my meetings in town, and I had my meetings on campus, and that was that was new too. That was a new thing uh, back in the day. But yeah, there was no there was very few I had never even heard of a treatment center until about a year into my sobriety maybe a couple more years I can't remember exact timing but all of a sudden you hear about Betty Ford and I'm just like Betty Ford and she was such a pioneer in in stigma busting which you know I'm, she's a big hero of mine but yeah there was no place to go you went to you went to the rooms I mean you went to the 12 step rooms and I still do and I still believe that that's a great way to go if it you know there's other options too and there's lots of I believe anything that works for you, anything I'm, I'm all about what works for you. So find what works for you and do it. And, but you have to do, you have to take the action. And I think that's the important piece because you're not going to get the thinking, right. You have to act your way into the right thinking. That's, that's what I've seen. And that's, and when you recognize the next, because you probably will trip onto another, um, um obsessive compulsive type of behavior because that's kind of the nature of the beast so what do you what do you say to people when they when you start to see that shift what, what what's your take on that when you see oh well that, that's the new th- that's the new <laughs> what do you say to yourself when that happens and <laughs> what do you say to uh like to when i to see say,
1: like my clients and stuff kind of switch
0: addictions? addictions yeah
1: you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: oh something good's coming i can see it on your face
1: well i'll tell you i have a few thoughts so obviously it's a process of just encouraging people to continue to change their life to help them see that whatever they're active in is going to lead exactly where you know substance led um you know i think the most common one i see is you know relationships yeah or love, you know, sex and love, but it's Mm -hmm. less, especially for the women I work with, it's less about sex and, and really more about love. And, you know, I have kind of a different view on that than a lot of people. And, um, you know, my opinions can be strong, of course, I know that, but Often, what is
0: your opinion on that? <laughs> what is your opinion on that?
1: I'll tell you what it is. I'll tell you. So, I got a lot of ladies and men for that matter in my office who, you know, this is the thing, right, Elizabeth? Like, you get sober, it's like you crawl out of this shithole, dark, despairing pit of addiction. And I mean that emotionally, right? In turn, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if you crawl out of a million dollar home, you know, in the mm-hmm. Silicon Valley or a box in the alley in San Francisco, like I did, right? Like you just literally and maybe figuratively crawl out of that hole and you come to to full circle or recovery and shit starts getting better. Yeah, Mm -hmm. like you feel better and you're taking a shower every day and you're brushing your teeth every day and you're wearing different clothes every day and you start to feel beautiful and attractive and uh, alive and right? worthwhile
0: so, yeah happy, and worthwhile.
1: Right? and yeah. we just you don't just wake up like mentally yeah you wake up physically spiritually psychologically right and and also like I said physically yeah like for the first time in a long time you just start yeah you feel like like,
0: you survived a car crash or something (laughs) you walk out like oh my god I lived through this yeah
1: right and you start feeling yourself you know like dang like I'm doing all right got all my teeth I took a shower (laughs) You know, and then suddenly the guy next to you, the cute boy next to you at the meeting's looking pretty hot, and then you start that chit chat, and before you know it you 're in over your head and in his bed, right so this is the deal in like early recovery, those types of relationships or connections are are deeply shamed, and mm-hmm. uh you know there's that saying in the twelve step rooms of course, no relationships for the first year and um sponsors i don't know where they got this from to be frank with you get all on that too and no Mm -hmm. relationships and no this and no
0: big changes uh, yeah if 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 you're in a relationship they suggest staying in there and figuring it out and the whole thing these are
1: these you know the single people i work with that start just coming alive and they're feeling good and sexual Mm -hmm. for the first time and attractive for the first time and so then they get in these relationships but those are so shamed in the 12-step rooms right mm-hmm. that you're not supposed to do that and then what happens is they hold a secret because mm-hmm. they don't want to get shamed or they don't want to get in trouble with their sponsors or mm-hmm. or they don't you know want to get fired from aa or whatever it is right so then, which they you
0: can't do stupid. actually but yeah <laughs>
1: Okay, so they hold the secret, which pushes them into the dark. Which, of course, is where addiction grows. It's like you know, just waiting. You know, the tentacles of addiction are just waiting in the dark to kind of wrap you up and right. suck you back in. Yeah. So I see these young, beautiful clients, young and not young, amazing clients of mine, who end up having sex, you know, with the newcomer next to them because why not? right? Why wouldn't you? Yeah, Young and attractive and feeling hot and like for the first alive. time. So so mm-hmm. Alive. Exactly, right?
0: And that and dopamine rush is coming at you. Alive,
1: <laughs> feeling yeah. alive and amazing. God, like this new leash on life. And, and so why? And the thing about addiction is that it's a disease of isolation addicts are dying to connect to people they're dying they're literally dying for connection Mm -hmm. and so then you come into recovery and and since you've been starving for connection you do it so inappropriately Mm -hmm. but you do Save your life, right? And so when when newcomers do that and they attach to other people, we shame the shit out of them for that. And I'll tell you this. And so what happens is they start living in the dark. Yeah, they start holding mm-hmm. secrets. They live in the dark, and then when they get into emotional trouble because they don't know how to do relationships, mm-hmm. or they get the heartbroken, right? They get in over their head. They're having well, too. Or many one movies. of
0: those people uses right. right
1: exactly that's what I mean right and or that because they don't know how to emotionally regulate right like they get hurt or they get insecure and they feel all the things that 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 are terribly angsting about Mm -hmm. the experience right um and then but they can't talk to anyone about it because they're keeping it a secret and that's why people get loaded you don't get loaded because you fuck a newcomer you get loaded because you're not talking about
0: Exactly. Um, and,
1: and <laughs> yeah, you know, what?
0: I, I don't know where that came from, because it's not in the literature, right? So this concept, here, here's what I say to people, because I had no,
1: right, yeah, go ahead. Not but just to finish that thought. So my yeah. thought on it, right? When I have people in my yeah. office, I work with people, you know, my, my deal with them, is you tell me the truth, no matter what, right? Like you, if you don't give me the truth, I can't help you. yeah Yeah, so don't sit in my office and lie to me eh? like you can lie to everyone else I don't care go out there and lie to your sponsors you can lie to your parents you can lie to your friends for now right until you learn the art of honesty Mm -hmm. it's okay right but here with me you got to tell me the truth because I guarantee you You're going to get into an emotional situation that you do not know how to handle. And if you don't have anyone to talk to about it, you're going to get loaded. And Mm -hmm. that's the truth of it, right? So that's my theory on relationships. I don't shame it. I don't care, right? I don't blame people. I understand it completely. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so natural. And I would never, as a woman in long-term recovery and in a professional for 25 years, I never want to be that person that empties a seat, right? I don't want-
0: Over be something so- um,
1: hum- That's right. They're yeah, so
0: human, that's yeah. Okay, that's yeah. okay, well, I love your passion. about. It. <laughs> no, I love your soapbox. <laughs> I love your soapbox. Um, I couldn't agree with you more. I I actually was came into the rooms because I was in a relationship with somebody And I met him in a bar. Now I'm married to him 36 years later, 38 years later. Okay. So, and we're both clean and sober for triple decades. Okay. So nobody knows. And I've also seen people really grow in, in recovery and people say, oh, well that you're just lucky. No, we worked hard on ourselves so that we could still be together through the years and have a healthy uh, partnership in life. Now there's no guarantees. And I think everything is a life lesson and you won't get the life lesson if you're drinking and using, but if you're having a relationship in early recovery, um, and you're getting all that good dopamine rush and that connection, that might be the very thing that keeps you in the room too. So I don't know what, somebody else's lessons are. I don't, you know, the traumas and the shame and the stuff that you talked about early on, that is all the stuff that takes years to uncover. It takes years of work. It can go, a lot of the big stuff gets addressed early so that you can get comfortable in your skin enough to stay sober. You don't have that driving huge pile of stuff that's pressuring the emotions and and the thoughts and the behaviors to be looking for that relief. But if you stay clean and sober, and you start to work on that stuff, you're going to have all kinds of things, all kinds of emotional situations, relationships, um, things that work, things that don't work, your challenges are going to come up in life, and everyone's are unique to themselves. Every, we're unique human beings. We don't have this cookie cutter. Now, do I think you should go from relationship to relationship, looking for something outside of yourself? To, no. But if you're in a relationship, know that that's part of what's going to bring up the stuff so that you can look that's at yourself.
1: Right. That's exactly? We're mirrors.
0: I always say that how many mirrors does it take to see the back of your head? Two mine and my sponsors. That's why we need sponsors. That's why we need counselors. That's why we need therapists. That's why we need sober, clean and sober people in our lives that can understand that we need to look at that stuff. And some of the stuff that's going to bring that, the the stuff that made the addiction take off to begin with are going to be relationships with people. It's also going to be what you switch your addictions to. If it's work, it's probably a work-related issue. That's the way it's going to present itself as the problem
1: right can i ask you a question sure uh i'm curious in your marriage so it's amazing that you guys have been sober well amazing you've both been sober over 30 years and then married Yeah. yeah well done you right you don't hear of people being married anymore for over 30 years especially getting married so young like you did but nonetheless i'm curious um do you guys uh have like a relapse understanding in your marriage i mean since you're both in recovery is that something that you ever like a like a re like like a not a contract but uh a, a conversation like should either of you relapse especially cuz you met so early in your recovery or
0: you know, in your recovery, I don't know. I'm just curious. I, yeah, I think when uh, we were younger, we probably did spend a lot of years. I think the underlying thing that works in, in my relation, in my marriage, and in my relationship, a couple things because people ask us this. I don't know what he would answer. I didn't know who his actual official sponsor was for a long time. I stay out of his stuff and he stays out of mine. And we both take personal responsibility for what I mean, our stuff, our recovery stuff. He knows who my sponsor is. He knows who I talk to. He knows who my posse is, my girls, my, my, and I do hang out primarily with women in recovery. I have male friends in recovery. I have male friends in life, but in terms of really close, close relationships, I take every, I pretty much take my, what I know, I think what happens in a long-term marriage and in a long-term recovery situation is you start to recognize this is mine and I'm going to go work this out before I bring it into my, because a lot of times the stuff that's getting triggered, just like what I was saying about relationships, it's your life. That's going to bring up your issues. I believe everything is a project. My perceptions are a projection of me. It's me that's showing up at all these different places. I'm the common denominator in all of my life, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Okay. So if I'm taking the negatives, let's say the negatives to me have this unconscious factor. I have to bring that up conscious through prayer, meditation, inventory, noticing what I'm doing and what I'm not doing and say, Oh, wow, I've been struggling with this. I've got to go to any lengths to work on me. So I don't have a hard and fast rule about that because I don't, I try not to have a lot of hard and fast rules. I have a few and I think they're important, but I think what what I've learned through my own recovery is that I want to be intuitive in my re- responses, not hard and rigid in reaction. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if I if I have hard and fast rules about all every little thing, I'm a, that's a recipe for a lot of misery for me. So what I would like to do is show up and work on me first and bring my best self to all of my relationships. And the other thing is, there's no perfect people on this planet. I think the thing people say, how do you stay so? How do you stay? How do you stay sober for a long time? Don't drink and don't die. Okay. How do you stay married for a long time? Work on yourself and bring your best self to all of your relationships. And maybe maybe the partner will do the same, but there's no guarantees in life. So the real key is to work on myself and, and, and know that he's not perfect and I'm not perfect, but that we're both works in progress. The beautiful thing is we work from the same template. We work from the same template. So no, there's no relapse prevention thing. It's, I work on my intuitive God connection, my spiritual connection, and I work on myself. And I, I literally third step my, mm-hmm. and what I mean by that for people who don't know the third step is in the third step of, of the 12 step programs, it says, I made a decision. We make a decision to turn our life and our will over to the care of God. As we understand God, thank God they put that part in there. Cause I was super like, Egh. God word, right? Mm. So for me, God is love. It's the energy of love. It's what you talked about. It's that connection. It's the connective tissue of the human spirit throughout time and throughout the world. That's to me, the energy, that loving connection that we need each other on planet earth. If I turn my life and my will over to that force, That 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 power. The only question I ever have to ask myself is: Is it the loving thing to do? Is it the loving thing to think? Is it the loving thing to say? And if I don't have that going on, I should probably be talking to somebody besides the people I love in my life. I should go work it out with somebody who I've given permission to be on that intimate level of my inner world. Work it out. Work on me. Take the best me to my relationships. And if one of us gets drunk, I show it up. I show up in that time, in that moment with my intuition, with my um, connection to higher power. And I figure it out one day at a time, not in the future. Mm -hmm. Early recovery. I probably had a plan.
1: Yeah. You know, I get that a lot. Ask that a lot. And I think it's valuable when people enter relationships yes, early on. Whether, by the way, whether that's lovers or roommates, business,
0: business partners. I, I, yeah,
1: because I run Silver Living, right? I have, you know, I'm, I manage, you know, or work with thirty-five people here at Full Circle Living, and a lot of them, you know, of course, when their time here is finished, they, you know, move on and launch into their own houses and their own places. But oftentimes they go together, right? Because they've been living here together Mm -hmm. for whatever months. So often, right? So I have two or three people go off and get their own apartments. So it comes up then too, right? So it's not just lovers, but also friends or roommates.
0: Oh, definitely. And and I think there are such things as Relationship uh, decisions. And then there's also personal responsibility about my emotional well being. Those aren't the same thing. Conversations and relationships have, you need to find the boundaries of those relationships. I have a relationship with um, another sober woman. We do workshops and stuff together. And she and I have this business entity. So we work together and we work, but we revisit our agreements on a regular basis, because life has this way of shifting and moving. And if I'm inflexible, then I'm missing opportunities. And I'm also playing by old rules. So I think communication is a really huge piece of that. The problem, I think that I've always that the, the, you get into where you um, if you don't feel good about yourself, if you don't feel um spiritually centered within yourself so that you can show up authentically and speak your truth. That's where you get into trouble. That's where I've gotten into trouble and I have to work at that. And that's why I'm, I think I have had a life, my whole adult life, I've been working on emotional sobriety so that I can, first of all, be my authentic self and then show up authentically in my relationships. That is the work of a lifetime for me has been. So that's really, it's, it's, you know, if there was a relapse early on, I think we would, have, I, our plan was probably something like shut the money down and, and, and gather the people we know that can help the other person, but get your own help. I'm a big proponent of get your own help. You're in a relationship with a person that has an addiction, going an active addiction, addiction going on, and you're in a, a financial relationship with them. Yeah. Lock the money up get the kids safe. Oh yeah. All of that matters. All of that does, but that's, that's a verbal agreement versus do I have an ongoing plan? Yeah. I would turn, I would, I would ask yeah. for the help of the community.
1: Lance, it sounds like is the same from the start, right? Sorry. Mm-hmm. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Where'd she go? There she is. My heater was I think, I'll, but uh, yeah, anyway. So thank you. For so asking. did I
0: answer your question? Probably yeah. answered it.
1: <laughs> oh, no, you answered it. Great. Right. I, I love what you said at the end there. You protect yourself.
0: Yep. Your money. Care, your children. Sure. You take care of business. You, you do the responsible things, but at the end of the day, know that you're never going to change another human being. That's not going to happen. People change because they want to change.
1: That's right.
0: And I'm a full-time job. And if somebody said, well, you're always working on yourself. I said, yeah, you should be grateful because if I'm not working on me, I might start working on you. <laughs> and no, That's never a good thing, right? <laughs> so anyway, I just want to thank you so much for this, um, this time that we're spending together. I think that this is a subject that a lot of people struggle to understand. Recovery can be, I think, in a lot of ways, counterintuitive, especially for people who have been in an addictive mindset pattern and behaviors. Um, And of course, the emotions in the middle, a lot of people have a hard time in the beginning of unraveling all of that. But there are communities and there are resources that can help people. And I think you're a wonderful resource, Christina. I love having these conversations with you. So thank you for this.
1: Thank you. And I will see you next
0: week. Take care. you.